But as we continue on in our book of, of Romans, we, we learned last week, uh, we ended the series by saying that the law made nobody perfect. The law does not forgive anybody for their sins. All the law does is demonstrate the standard by which we must live up to if we want to be right with God. We also saw that it was basically, well not basically, is completely impossible to live up to those standards and become righteous in your own actions. And the, the hard part about that is if you were reading through the book of Romans and you got to that part and we stopped there, we would kind of be in a pretty sorry state. We'd be in a position where there's no way that we could make ourselves righteous. God says, this is the standards. You can't live up with it. Live up to it. Suck it up, buttercup. But how many of you know that it doesn't stop there? It doesn't stop there. Man, good place for an amen and nobody said it. Thank you, thank you for Joseph. But did you know that even though nobody can measure up, even though, even for people that know that, it doesn't stop us from always trying to do it on our own? Even though I think really all people, whether you're saved or you're unsaved, realize that there's a deficiency in your life in that area. You realize that you make mistakes, that you're not perfect, but yet we all still try to do it in our own capacity, and we all keep failing over and over and over. I was reading a story uh, by a pastor by the name of Tom Allen. He's from Grace Church in Seattle, and he tells a story of how he took his daughters out to go have breakfast one morning, and they were just going out to, to get some juice, and his youngest daughter, she got an apple juice, and his older, little bit older daughter, they got, she got a, a mango surprise, and, and, uh, but they had brought their piggy banks with them. They're his little young daughters. They brought their piggy banks, so they were convinced that they wanted to pay for themselves this morning. So they, they brought all their money, and he says that all of it combined was about 80 cents. That was all the money from their piggy banks, about 80 cents. And he, and he kept reassuring his daughters, no, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to take care of this. They, they, they were convinced they were going to do it on their own. So they get to the counter, and they bring the two drinks up, and it comes out to $2.06. And then the, the girls, they put their money on the counter, and the cashier says, I'm, I'm sorry, sweeties, but this just isn't enough. And he says he remembers. He starts feeling a, a tug on his sweater from, his, from his, old, his youngest daughter, and he looks down, and she says, Daddy, I think I'd like to use your money now. <laughs> you see, that's the best news about the gospel. Even if we want to try to pay for it ourselves, one, we can't. We get to the register, and we don't have enough. But in Jesus, in the gospel, he made a way that we could use God's money. Amen? And today we're going to see Paul tell the rest of that story this morning because it doesn't end in hopelessness. It doesn't end in despair because if we stopped there, if we just got to the point where we said you could never live up, it would all be pointless. Why would we even keep worrying about it? But the truth is it doesn't end there. We have a chance. There is hope. God made a way in his son. So let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. We thank you for your goodness. And Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that we can come to it, we can know your will, that you are are not a God of confusion or of chaos, but you've made your will plain in your Son. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we we can read your Word and know that we are saved. We can know that we have a Savior. We can know that you've made a way that we don't have to be confused. We don't ever have to wonder if we've lived up because it's not based on the things that we've done, but based on what you've done. So this morning, Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive what you have for us, that your word would accomplish its purpose in our hearts. And Father, I thank you that we'd have a revelation of who you are 
and what you've accomplished inside of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this morning I've entitled the message, Justified by Faith. As we finish up in chapter uh, 3 this morning, we're going to start in verse 21. We're going to read Romans 3, 21 through 22a. The whole, I don't like the way that they split up the verses this morning as I wanted to teach on them. So the first like half of these slides are going to be in the middle of verses. So mess you guys all, if you write notes, it's going to mess it all up. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So like I said, last week we ended with Paul reiterating that no man is justified by the law. And all that means the law is good, the law is perfect, the law sets our standard, but the law never made anybody right with God. Really, it just gave power to sin because it pointed out all of the things that we were doing wrong. We knew it was bad, but then God said, here's my standard, and we went, it's a lot worse than we thought. But now we're going to see an important shift in Paul's argument. We're going to see that how you do become justified and how you do become righteous. Because how many know that if you find out that you're not, the next thing that you want to know is, well, how do I get that way? How do I get right with God? And Paul's going to explain that it is apart from the law. It has nothing to do with the law and you being righteous. Because the reality is, is that man cannot become righteous by behaving. And some people get mad at that. Some people are like, why do I have to be held to somebody else's mistakes? You know, that's the thing that people argue is, is we say that, no, you can't do it by behaving. You need Jesus. And even if you could do it, you would still be in a bad place because sin is passed down through generation. And people are like, well, why do I have to be held to, to some other man's failure thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden? Why am I held to, to that failure? Why can't I do it on my own? Completely forgetting how they've lived their life up until that point. It's like, no, trust me, you don't want to do it on your own. You wouldn't measure up. You wouldn't make it. So we can conclude that the only way to, to be righteous is by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is going to talk about because the reality is, is the law was God's law and is God's righteous standard, but no man has the capacity to live up to it. I actually find that 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 uh, argument humorous. They're like, well, why do we have to, to live up to, to Adam's failure? Why can't we do it on our own? Because the, there's always in somebody's head this ideal person that's never sinned. Well, what about that guy? Oh, there was only one that guy. It was Jesus, and he died for you. Nobody else other than Jesus has lived a sinless life. But somehow in our head, we, we, we make arguments based off these super far outlayers. You know, it's like when people make the argument that uh, abortion should be okay, and they say, no, it's, it's a life. We, as Christians, we argue, no, that's a life, and it's precious to God, and we can't take a life. And then what do they usually argue? What's the first thing that comes up? What about people that are raped or they're a victim of incest? And it's like, okay, I'll make you a deal. What if we take those off the table? We, don't talk, we just talk about all cases that aren't those things, and we say no abortion. And they, oh, no, no, we don't want that woman's body. Then it changes. They use an outlier to, to argue their point when the reality is, is that's not what they're arguing for. And the same thing happens with people saying, well, what about the one person that could, that could live up to it? The truth is no man can live up to God's standard. And we're born broken. We're born in a state that we can't. We're going to see, I believe it's in Romans chapter 8, how Paul talks about the, the nature of the two, the two persons. In chapter 7, I'm off by one. Eight minus one. 
It's coming up soon. Actually, not so soon because we're going to have a break in the middle. But in like 16 weeks, we're sure we'll be talking about it. So stay tuned. Get on the edge of your seats right now to be ready for it. Hallelujah. Praise God. If it ended there, if it ended in just our capacity, man, we would be a people to be pitied because we would be completely lost. But I love that God in his infinite wisdom, he provided a way for us to attain righteousness. And it has nothing to do with, with what we've done. It has everything to do with what he has done. And something I always initially thought was this was God's plan B. I'm reading my notes right here, and it auto-corrected. Instead of plan B, it says plan B-E. And I'm like, what the heck was I trying to write plan B? It was God's plan B, the letter B. I always thought in my head that somehow Jesus was God's plan B, right? We sent, he sent the law. This was the first plan, and it, it, God was like, Phew, this just isn't working out. These guys, the guys are never going to do it. Maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll, 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 I'm going to come up with a different plan because the, the law is just not working out, and I better do something or they're all, gonna, they're all going to perish. But the reality is, is that the Scriptures have always pointed to Jesus. There are hundreds of prophecies that point to Jesus. As the way that the, this is why Paul says right here, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Salvation through faith has always been a part of the scriptures, and it's not just the New Testament, it was even in the Old Testament. Abraham, do you guys remember why Abraham was considered righteous? It wasn't because he followed the law, the law wasn't even there yet. It's because he believed God. You remember that David in a couple of his psalms, um, uh, particularly the one that happened right after he, he had an affair with Bathsheba, he says, he says, a sacrifice you have not desired. And that's because in that time there was no sacrifice for adultery. It was automatic stoning. There was no sacrifice for that particular sin. But even then, David realized that sacrifices is not what God desires. He desires a trust in a reliance in him, God has always desired faith, not performance. They've always pointed to Jesus, who is the object of our faith today. And let's face it, that, that an object of faith, the object of your faith is only as good as what it is, right? The, 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 the faith is only as good as what you place that faith in. And the reality is, is we all trust in something. Most people just trust in themselves. That was my biggest issue. I was, uh, I know you wouldn't tell it now, and this will totally shock you, but I was pretty prideful when I was younger. And uh, I thought I could do everything myself. Matter of fact, that's what took me so long to finally give it all to God because I was good at everything that I ever tried. I was just good at it. And I, I thought it was me. And then one day God finally said, all right, you give it a go on your own. And it didn't work out so well for me. My life fell apart. But most of us trust in ourselves. And I, I guarantee you, every single person that walked in here did not walk up to their chair and go, and make sure it was going to hold you up. You guys trusted in your chair when you put your butt on it. Which That's something you shouldn't always put your trust in. One time... <laughs> I was at, and some of you guys have heard the story, but we were in Bisbee at this big music uh, conference thing, and I'm sitting in, you know those little plastic lawn chairs? 
And you guys have been to Bisbee, that big like concrete coliseum thing they have up there? Anyway, I'm on the floor of that, and we're sitting in this plastic chair, and uh, I've always been a big guy, and I'm sitting in it, and Michelle comes and sits in my lap. My, my lap, my lap. I'm like, this is awesome. And so, pop, the back legs of the chair shot off. She jumps up and leaves me just sitting on the chair. I'm on the floor, right? Everyone's staring at me laughing. She acts like I had nothing to do with her. But to make it worse, it's like, all right, now I got to get up. So I put my hands on the ground to get up, but the chair just scoots across the ground as I'm trying to get up. I can't get up. Don't always trust your chair. Jesus is a much better person to put your trust in than your chair. I'm telling you that right now. For everybody else, not me. It was mortifying. <laughs> oh, this is my BC day, so fortunately, I think everybody was drunk, and most people don't remember. But, uh, oh. but you know, the Christian trusts in Christ. That's because, and he is trustworthy. You never have to worry about Jesus kicking the back legs out from underneath you. He is faithful. David says, I was young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And this is, we're not talking about a, a simple belief that he existed. I think right now, and it's funny, I'll see stuff on, people post on Facebook saying Jesus was a myth. And it's like, yeah, you really haven't done your research. Even if you don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, he's not a myth. He's a historical figure. Uh, secular and non-secular historians agree that Jesus lived. Nobody argues about that, except for people that want to say the Bible's a myth, even though historically we can prove that what it says happened time and time again. There's plenty of archaeological and historical evidence that the Bible is real. Now, the truth is, none of that's going to make you believe in Jesus. Just because it actually happened, your choice to believe is your personal choice. To believe that he was who he says he was, and then he did what he said he did. And it's not just a, a simple belief. It says what? That the demons believe in Shudder. Even the demons believe in Jesus. But righteousness is available to those who believe on him for their salvation, that believe that he went to the cross for them. And it's his finished work on the cross that makes us righteous. It's not super difficult to understand. That's what I love about the Bible. Because the great thing about the Bible is, as many people think it's complicated and difficult to understand, but I believe that, that God wrote it in such a way that, that young people can understand, people that aren't very smart, that aren't very intelligent, people, that, I mean, so kids can understand it. And it's not, so people are like, that just doesn't seem fair that you have, to, you have to go through Jesus. What about all the other religions? What about all the other stuff? It just doesn't seem fair. How come all these other things can't be true? And the truth is, is if any other of those religions are true, then Christianity is false. But if Christianity is true, then every other religion is false. But it's not a difficult concept to grasp because imagine this. You're waiting in line at the airport to board a plane. And when you get up to the ticket counter, they don't care how handsome you are. And I know this is true because if that was what got you through the gates, I would never have to pay for another plane ticket again. <laughs> they would just let me through. Man, he's good looking. Come on in. But the truth is, is they don't care how good looking I am. They don't care about how many what kind of clothes I wear. They don't care how much money I have. What do they want? They want my ticket. They want my boarding pass to get on the plane. And the same is true as in regards to righteousness. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, what kind of money you have, what kind of family background you come from, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of church you attend or don't attend. What it matters is, is that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your boarding pass, if you will. 
And trusting in Christ means this, is that you put your confidence in Him for the forgiveness of sins. You put your confidence in Him to make you right with God, to empower you to live the way that He taught us. See, that's the thing about salvation, is when you get saved, that's a miracle that takes place inside of you. When you, become, uh, when you receive the Lord as your, as your Savior, the old person that was in you, that old spirit is taken out, it's replaced with the Spirit of God, and you can finally live the life that God has called you to live. Matter of fact, when you get saved, there should be evidence of that. There should be, because you've changed. You're not who you used to be. The stupid, dumb things you used to do, if you ever notice as a Christian when you do them, the reason why it, it, it feels so weird, the reason why it grates against you, because it's totally out of character with who you are now in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mesh up with who you are, which is why it feels weird. It's why you feel guilty. It's why something inside of you twists and turns when you're doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing, because that is not who you are anymore. And God's solution and His Son is available to all of us regardless of our background. This way is open to all who believe. And verse 322b through 24b, it says, For there is no distinction for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Now, if you haven't picked up on this yet, Paul's made it very clear that there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks or Gentiles as far as it's in regard to salvation. We all have to have the same thing. We all need Jesus. And we find out that there's no distinction for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. How many of you guys know what the word of all means? So I don't know what it means in your Bible, but in my Bible when it says all, it means everybody. It means all. There's not some people that don't need this. Everybody needs Jesus. Think of it this way. If the law measures the distance between mankind and God, and the law is, is, is human righteous, it's, it's, it's man's own strength trying to cross, cross that gap, there's going to be a deficiency. This is one of the greatest comics that I think ever explains it. It talks about the gap between us and God, a sinful people and a holy God. And when we try to bridge that gap by our good works, our religion, our philosophy, our morality, or basically our human um, abilities, we're never going to make it across. We're never going to make the gap. That you're never going to get across. The only way that we can is with God himself making a way for us. He provided his son, and because of that, we bridge the gap and make it across that a sinful people can be right with God, but we could never do it on our own. The other horrifying trend that I see um, these days in the Christian world, and, and I couldn't find the comic that described it once, but it's basically the same idea, but it's got a man carrying his cross, and uh, as he's walking, he's like, man, this is really heavy. There's this parts of Christianity I don't like, and he begins to chip off pieces of the cross and he carries and his cross is getting smaller and smaller and when he finally gets to the gap he goes to put his cross across it and it doesn't reach anymore the truth is is christianity is 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 not like progressive you don't get to pick the parts that you want it's not an insurance company we have to follow everything but when we do it our own way whenever we do it our own way, whether it's in our own strength completely or we begin to shape and mold Christianity into our own image, we end up falling short just like it is right here. But the great news is, is that even though all of us have fallen short, 
we can all be justified by His grace as a gift. And grace is simply defined as this. Grace simply defined as getting something that you don't deserve, right? Mercy is, is not getting something you do deserve, and grace is getting something you don't deserve. But a little more complete or complicated definition of grace is everything that God accomplished in His Son, Jesus Christ. Your righteousness was accomplished in Jesus. That's grace. His patience with us is grace. He accomplished that in His Son. Our freedom from sin and our release from death, these are all God's grace being enacted in our lives. And the best part is is that they're free. There's nothing that we have to do to earn it. He's given it to us as a gift just because He loves you. He loved you so much that He gave up everything that you could be whole. God's love eclipses even our wildest imagination. There's no way that we can bundle up and describe accurately God's love for us. Anybody that has children can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to give up one of your children for somebody else. But God loved us so much that he did that, that he, he stepped down off this throne in heaven and became a man and gave this. He gave up everything. And the thing about this gift is that you don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You just got to receive it. Amen? In Romans 3.24b through 25a, it says, through the redemption, so if we end on that last one, it says, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Christ is the answer to the whole sin issue, to the whole we don't measure up issue. Jesus was the method that God chose to make us right with him. Without Jesus, there would be no redemption. Without Jesus, there would be no hope for us. We would be walking around lost, hopeless, like many people do today when they don't know about Jesus. Many people who don't know or they've rejected Jesus, they're walking around this world with no hope, no future but it's been made away in Jesus if they would just say yes. And as a result of that, as a result of Jesus, we have been declared not guilty, not because we were never guilty, but because Jesus himself bore our guilt for us. Do you know that when you're in a courtroom and when a judge uh, declares a defendant not guilty, all the charges are removed from a person's record? When they're declared not guilty, not guilty, that even the char- it's as if they had never been charged. Their, their, their record is completely clean. Legally, it's as if the person had never been accused. And when God forgives our sin in Jesus, our record is wiped clean. From his perspective, it is though that we had never sinned. That's why the scripture says our sin is as far from us as the east is to the west, as, 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 long, as if we had never sinned because Jesus paid the penalty. That's actually what it means to propitiate. It just means to appease. And God's legal and righteous requirement for sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death. That's his legal and righteous requirement. And he appeased that in Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in the blood of Jesus. And the only final requirement for us is to to believe it and receive it by faith. 
Now, there are many out there who would say that, that no uh, salvation is by election because if you have to receive something by faith, if you have to believe on something, that is somehow considered some form of works. There are many who say that, that uh, no, even believing on something is a type of work. So that's why people that God wants to get into heaven are going to get into heaven, and the people that God doesn't want to get into heaven, they're not going to get in, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that's always struck me as odd because even in our own lives, we don't see things as that way. Has anybody ever called into a radio station and won a prize? You've won one before? You've won before? So what'd you win? You won a trip to SeaWorld? Did you have to go pick up the trip? Did you have to go pick up the tickets? you have to go down there and sign some paperwork? Bad example then. <laughs> huh? That was a Christian station. Most places, I've had friends that have won that. Actually, you, know, you don't know this, but if you call in and somebody's already won, they'll keep taking calls and they'll ask you to say the wrong answer so they can play a bunch of wrong answers on the air. <laughs> but I had a friend once that won some CDs or concert tickets or something like that. And when they won, they actually had to go down to the station and pick up the tickets. They actually had to go to that. It's not like they just magically appeared in their hands as soon as they, they, they won. They actually had to go pick them up. Now, any of us, would, we, would any of us say, you know what? They worked really hard for those tickets because they drove all the way down to the station to pick them up. I mean, they earned it, really, by driving down. Would anybody think that way? No, it was a gift, they, or they won a prize. Even though they had to get off their butt and go down to the station, it doesn't mean that they did anything to earn those tickets. And the same thing is true for faith. I mean, we see this daily in our lives. We all understand it. If I pulled my wallet out and said, you know what, Jason, this wallet is now yours. If you don't come take it out of my hands, you don't have possession for it, whether it's yours or not. It's not really yours. I was just an illustration. I saw your eyes light up. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. There's nothing in it anyway. You can have it, actually. <laughs> Praise God. But you still have to, even if something is given to you as a gift, you still have to receive it. You have to take ownership of it. And the same is true of receiving salvation, salvation by faith. It is a completely free gift. You don't earn it, but you do have to receive it by faith. And to not receive that free gift by faith, it's like sitting in a restaurant and you're having your meal and the couple next to you pays for your meal. But you say, you know what? I think I'm going to pay for that myself as well. And you leave your money on the table too. You can make a choice to pay for that again. But if somebody's already paid for it for you, to do it again just seems silly. To not receive that free gift that they give you, gave you just seems silly. And the only person that made out was the waiter. <laughs> you see, that's kind of how it works with with the, the devil and Jesus, because Jesus has paid the price for sin. Your, your bill has already been paid, but so many people have, are still walking around with their bill paid, their sin dealt with, taken care of in Jesus Christ. They just haven't received it, and they're going to head down and say, no, devil, I think I'd like to play for this myself and just spend some time with you. And they're not going to make it because they didn't receive the free gift. You see, that's the thing that most people don't realize is that sin actually has been dealt with. Sin is not an issue for God. Nobody is going to hell for their sins that they've committed. They're going to hell because they didn't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't receive your Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are storing up wrath for yourself depending on what you do. But it's not your sins that are going to send you there. It's not receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Wayne? Because the Scripture says that while we were all yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
sin has been dealt with. People just aren't receiving the free gift. Sin has been paid for. And if you haven't received this free gift, I would implore you to do so. Don't choose to pay for it yourself. And verse 325b through 26, it says, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The reality is, is that the payment of sin came at a great cost to God. He gave up his one and only son. He stepped out of his throne. One of the things that people always say to me, I don't want to, 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 to worship a God who would kill his own son for somebody else. But people don't realize that while he was in the form of his son, it was also, Jesus was God. He stepped off the throne himself to pay your penalty for you. He gave up his very own life for us in the person of his son. Matter of fact, I think this is one of the greatest evidences for the deity of Christ is that Christ died for all men. If he was just a man, if he was just a regular person, and he lived a perfect life, the only person that he could atone for would be one person. But Jesus, being God, was infinite and was able to atone for all of mankind. Being infinite in his deity, he was able to pay for us all. And this payment is what 25b is actually referring to, where he says right here, uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. Well, what does that what does that mean? Well, God's divine forbearance is, is basically He exercised uh, great control and restraint for the sins that happened before Jesus Christ. The Scripture says that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away anybody's sin. It was just a stopgap in the moment till Jesus came back. And before Jesus, there was no real forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So if there's no real forgiveness of sins before Jesus, then what about all of those who died in sin before Jesus came? And that's what he's saying here. God's righteous because in his divine forbearance, he held back and passed over those former sins until Jesus had came. And Jesus Death paid for the sins of the entire world. Those that came before he lived, those that came while he was alive, and those sins that came after his death. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews eleven thirteen. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Before Jesus, they were still all looking forward to Jesus, whether they realized it or not. Because only his death could pay for the sins of the world. And through the work of Jesus, God remained just and became the one who, he remained just, but he also became the one who justified those who had faith in Jesus. I love the story of the cross. I love the story of Jesus because it means God did not compromise who he was. He did not become unjust. He did not become unrighteous because had he done any of those things, had he just turned his back on sin, if he had just swept it under the rug, if he had just ignored it, then he would no longer be God because you can't be God and not be just and not be righteous. Those are part of his eternal internal qualities of who he is so in his son he said i'm going to make a way for people while still being true to who i am by not becoming something else i'm not going to be the the truth is is that sin has to be dealt with it has to be paid for 
So he paid the price himself. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament never took away sin. It was just a temporary stop back gap until Jesus came. But when Jesus died, he reached all the way back to Adam and he took care of every sin from the foundation of the world to when this world ends, every sin is covered in his death. There are many people that will argue and, and say that no, when you, when you ask Jesus into your heart, only your, your sins up to that point are covered. Your future sins aren't covered. And I'm like, well, how, what do you mean your future sins aren't covered? When Jesus died, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, None of your sins have been committed yet. They were all future sins. But he covered them all. And the reality is is that no one, not even Satan, could accuse God of being unjust or unfair for his seeming passing over of previous sins because he took care of them completely in his son, Jesus Christ. In verse 27 through 28, it says, And what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. As Paul begins to conclude his argument, he argues that we have no room to boast. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. You didn't do anything good enough to be saved God did it because he loved you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. None of us can boast in our own salvation. One, because no one's ever lived perfectly. But even if you had, it's Jesus that made you right, not your own stuff. There can be no boasting in your heritage, in the law, or even boasting in your own works. because. God's forgiveness is not based on our good deeds or our heritage, where we came from. Matter of fact, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. But because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you have to boast in something, boast in what God has accomplished inside of you. Amen? Because his forgiveness is based on our faith. Faith, the thing about faith is that it eliminates the, the, the human pride that comes along with doing it yourself. Faith exalts what God has done and not what people do. Faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up and that we do need him. And faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. Amen? Romans 3, 29-30 says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So again, Paul's reiterating that the Jews cannot claim sole propriety over God or deny that Gentiles can also receive God's grace. However, he's looking at it at a different angle. He said over and over that the Jews and Gentiles are the same in regards to salvation. So he takes a slightly different angle here and he says, basically, since the Gentiles had always worshipped idols and false gods, the Jews concluded that Yahweh was the true and living God was the God of the Jews only. And in one sense that was true because they were the only ones actually worshiping God, right? 
So in a mechanical sense, Yahweh was, was the God of the Jews only, but the reality is, is that if he is the only untrue God, if he's the only one that's real, if he's the only one that's counted, if he's the true God, then it's logically necessary that he be the God of everybody, whether they worship him or not. God is the creator of all peoples, not just the Jews. Unfortunately, there's just a lot of people, groups that have chosen not to follow him, not to worship him. And the truth is, is before Jesus, before this was extended to the Gentiles, a lot of them were kind of in a pretty rough spot because many of them didn't have the opportunity. But I, that's why that throughout the Old Testament, the Jews were always supposed to be inclusive. The Jews were always supposed to be evangelizing people, bring, bring people into the Jewish fold. That was always what they were supposed to do. Matter of fact, Genesis 12.3 says that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. It's a promise to Abraham. And once again, in my Bible, when it says all, it means all. This makes sense to me because it's the logical conclusion. It's the logical necessity. If God is the only true God and he created everything, then he is the God of every person. And the question of being right with God is not to be settled according to those who have or have not been circumcised. This is, this is not the defining factor of whether you can be right with God. But instead, it's faith that we are justified before God. And in verse 31 is where we'll conclude today. It says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. See, the natural question that pops up, if, if we're saying the law can't save you, the law does nothing, uh, the natural conclusion people will draw is, oh, the law must be worthless, it must not be good, it must not be anything. We must, I mean, the faith must just get rid of the law completely. But that's not true either. And that's what Paul answers. He says, by no means. That's an emphatic no. He's trying to make it clear that no, because the reality is, is only through faith can we even uphold the law. The standard of God doesn't change just because of faith. Sin is still sin. The difference is in faith, when we have a new life inside of us, we can finally live to the standard of the law because we have a new spirit inside of us. We are made brand new. We're new creations. And the law was not removed or thrown away when Jesus came. Because if God removed his standard, then once again, he would become unjust to be God. Jesus said this about the law in Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. And this is what he says about the fulfillment of the law in 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The reality is, is that Jesus was the righteous fulfillment of the law. That's why God's plan in Jesus was so brilliant because the law didn't get swept away, but it was fulfilled in him. The law says that the requirement for these things is death. They have to be paid for. So his son fulfilled them by paying them for us. And as a result of the new life that we've been given inside of you, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creations. Because we are brand new, we can finally live in accordance to the law. We're not a slave to sin. We're not a slave to death. It can't impose its will on us any longer. We can live how he intended us to live. And I, for one, find that amazing. Because before I got 
saved. And I say this before I got well and truly saved because I, I, I knew there was the right thing, but I hadn't really grasped what salvation was about. You know, and I, w- I would go to bed feeling awful and guilty because I knew I had sinned, I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't help it. I kept doing all the stupid stuff that I had been doing, lay out my laundry list of sins, and then I would just do them again the next day. But it wasn't until I got well and truly saved that I put my trust in Him that my life began to change. Things that had a hold over me, a control over me, that it seemed like I could do nothing to stop them, suddenly fell away as I began to renew my mind in His Word, as I began to put my trust in Him, as my body began to come in line, in alignment with what had already happened inside of my spirit. I was able to live according to the law. That's how he intends us to live. The reason God doesn't want you to sin is that you don't have fun. It's because sin will kill you. And he wants you to be free and live for him. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.